The most tumultuous and difficult year in the modern history of mixed martial arts is entering its home stretch as the Ultimate Fighting Championship prepares for its final pay-per-view event of 2020 this Saturday at the Apex facility in Las Vegas. While the UFC's unwritten rule that every pay-per-view event must be headlined by a title fight has forced a hastily thrown-together main event, the meeting between Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno, both of whom fought at UFC 255 just three weekends ago, should be a fun one, and the remainder of the 11-fight card is well-stocked with top 10 contenders as well as rising prospects. True, there's one more UFC event next weekend, as well as a one-championship show, and Ryzen will be pulling out all the stops for New Year's Eve, but UFC 256 certainly feels like the last big card of the worst year. Good evening, and welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC 256, Figueredo versus Moreno. I'm your host, Ben Duffy. With me to break down the second men's flyweight title fight in three weeks and the remaining 10 fights on the card is Keith Schillen. Keith is executive producer of the Loudmouth MMA Podcast Network as well as a writer for SureDog.com and a host and creator of numerous shows for SureDog Radio, including, of course, the Schillen and Duffy Show. Keith, how are you doing this evening? Um, I'm doing great, man. It's It feels really weird to be doing Figueredo and Moreno again three weeks later. We do these every week, and though there's fight nights in between, the pay-per-view ones always seem, you know, it I always gets me a little more excited. You know, it's, I know that at the end of the week, there'll be a lot of shuffling in the shirt on rankings. Uh, they'll be embedded. There's a countdown show. With the the weigh-in's a little more intense. But to have the same two fighters kind of coming right back, it just seems weird. And and I just like reshuffled my notes <laughs> from three weeks ago. So uh, it, it's a little weird. But on the flip side, what is cool is we're talking about Flyweight headlining a division. I uh, saw headlining a pay per view two pay per views in a row or two months in a row. And it wasn't that long ago that we didn't think we were going to have this division at all. Or And then when we did have champions, I mean, how many times did Demetrius Johnson have? His his fights as uh, on fight nights, and even think about like Figueroa won his title on a fight night. Yeah, I, he he won his title on on a fight night. All of a sudden, obviously, this is a year when the UFC is uh, desperate for headliners, and because of their self imposed rule, desperate for title headliners for their numbered pay per views. But the fact that they're Coming back to to flyweight again and again for this, I, I think it's encouraging. Uh, I imagine you, like me, are someone who didn't like it when it looked like flyweight was on its way out of the UFC. No, no, I think it's one of the most fun divisions to watch. Like I don't remember the last time there was a flyweight battle, especially a ranked flyweight where I wasn't interested in. Like you know, even if you think you can pick a winner, you know it's probably like, even this main event. Like I'm leading one way. But I don't feel confident in my pick, or you, or very confident, I should say. And and that's kind of the case a lot of times with flyweight. Like I don't really know who's gonna pick. I know both guys are gonna have their moments. Both guys are gonna be well rounded because you you hardly ever get a flyweight that is one dimensional. So that's something exciting ab- about the division. And the other thing that kind of stands out to me is in 2020. You know, it's been said a million times and oversaid of how terrible it has been a year for the entire world. But it hasn't been a terrible year for flyweights based on the amount of showcase fights they've been able to get 
So, um, you know, I don't want to dig into that too much, but it has not a bad, been a bad year for Davidson Figueroa. That's for sure. No, I mean, we'll be talking about the Sherdog year end awards uh, within the next couple of weeks here, once these last few cards get sewn up. But if he wins this Saturday, I think he might have fighter of the year pretty much in the bag. Oh, I, you know what I was thinking about? I, I think that's a no brainer if he wins. But the, my question is, if he loses, then who is the fighter of the year? It doesn't become Moreno. It, it might I, be. It would certainly get him onto the leaderboard. I'm, I mean, he was surprisingly dominant three weeks ago in the fight that got him this title shot. And as he was happy to point out, that could have, and in his mind, should have been his title shot back then. So, (laughs) I mean, if if the world had broken a a little differently, for all we know, he might have been uh, defending against Figueredo in a fast rematch this weekend. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, the... One one hell of a year for Figueredo if he wins, or obviously for Moreno, what a huge breakthrough uh, if if he, you know, get gets this belt right at the end of the year. Let's let's put off a little of that talk until we actually get to that fight because we've got ten yeah. to <laughs> yeah, to burn through before then. We jump, we jump right to the main event. <laughs> yeah, just jump right to the dessert. But uh, we've got quite the set of main courses coming here because, like most UFC pay per views. This one's pretty well stocked. There's a sneaky high number of top 10, top 15 fighters on here. Uh, This isn't one of those kind of stuff all the junk in fight night cards where you see, you know, five matchups of where both fighters are coming off of losses. You know, there's good stuff on this card. Yeah. So other than, you know, a couple last minute cancellations, which we've already had this week, I think we had two fights get canceled. One fight had to be, you know, opponents out, new opponents in. So other than that, and I'm assuming you probably both expect that somebody will catch COVID or some kind of fight will be canceled. There'll probably be another one by the time, you know, the event goes on from now recording to then. So something will happen. But besides all those things, the thing that really jumps out on these cards is other than one or two fights, and one of them is one of the fights that had to be changed, it's a really well-matched card where I had a hard time picking winners in a lot of the fights. And also, if I even did pick a winner, I can see the thinking behind the matchups, which a lot of times is an issue. I'm like, ah, this seems like a really weird matchup. That's not really the case this week. I, I really understand pretty much every matchup. Except for one. Yeah. I, there is one. I'll get to that later, but yeah. All right. Well, once we get to it, uh, I, I will be the first to know about it. All right, the UFC 256 early prelims start off. And just as a note for any listeners listening to this on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, we are going with the bout order as it appears on the UFC's own website as of Wednesday night when we recorded. And as of this moment, our opening fight is Chase Hooper versus Peter Barrett at Featherweight. Hooper, the 21-year-old, still uh, one of the youngest fighters in the UFC, he is 9-1-1 one, and one overall. He is 1-1 one, and one in the UFC, having won his debut against Daniel Tamer almost exactly a year ago at UFC 245, then having appeared in June at UFC 250 and lost a unanimous decision to Alex Caceres. He'll be taking on Barrett. Barrett, the 34-year-old, is 11-4 in his professional career. He is 0-1 
after making his UFC debut this August after a successful appearance on Dana White's Contender Series last year. He was defeated by Yusef Zalal at UFC Fight Night 174 via unanimous decision. Hooper, one of the higher favorites on the card, he is sitting around minus 400 right now where Barrett is available as high as plus 325 or plus 330. Let me start this conversation a, a whole different way. Let me just get a, a one-word answer out of you before I start. Do you think okay. Hooper's going to win this one? Like, are you going to pick Hooper when you get to the end of your prediction? Yes. Okay. Uh, so will I, although I'll give a little more uh, breakdown than that. I'm stunned that the line is this wide. I'm stunned that the line is this wide, not because I think uh, Peter Barrett is great. In fact, based on his appearance on the Contender Series and then his uh, fight against the LOL this summer, I'm not sure he's even firmly UFC material. Like, he might be a guy, well, if he loses to Hooper, he might wash out right now, but he, I could see him as a guy who goes 0-3 in the UFC and is out. And it's cool that he made it to the UFC at 34, but just, you know, was never quite on that level. However, I don't have four to one favorite faith in Chase Hooper right now. Uh, he's still only 21, got a ton of development to do, but this is something uh, you said about Jordan Levitt last week, and I'm saying it about Chase Hooper right now. As of right now, he is not a good striker. He, he's a, a terrible striker. Uh, you know, he's an incredibly long-limbed, uh, just tall, big, like tall-framed, long-limbed, uh, featherweights, and it has served him well in grappling, and it serves him well for the the kind of grappling he likes. But he just looks super, super awkward striking, and I don't know if it's something that he's ever going to fix. I mean, he has all the time in the world. He's young, and the UFC is clearly invested in him doing well, or at least getting every chance to do well, considering that they're having him fight Peter Barrett. Uh, but... Even if even Hooper gets past this, I, I think trying to you know tag him as like the next Sean O'Malley type phenom might be a bit premature. They're they're just not the same kind of fighter or, or the same kind of developed talent at this point in their respective careers at all. So I'll just wrap this up by saying I I do expect Hooper to win. Uh, I'm I'm not going to say he's he's going to uh, finish Barrett. But I, I do think he'll be able to get it to the ground and maybe not finish it, but force Barrett to be on the defensive and keep him in the danger zone enough to win at least two rounds out of three. So give me uh, Hooper by decision and let me know what you think. Well, I already let you know that I think he's going to win. So I'll start with Hooper. I, I agree with everything you said. So when I did the breakdown of him on the contender series, I picked against him. Like, I didn't think he was going to win that show. I didn't think he was ready when he was in developmental contract. I, I didn't like that. I didn't think he was even close to UFC level. When he got in the UFC, obviously he got Daniel Tamer, the, the bad Daniel, you know, the bad Tamer brother, the one that <laughs> probably isn't UFC level himself. Then when he went against Alex Caceres, I, I think he and I was saying that was like one of the stupidest lines I've ever seen. I also think this is one of the stupidest lines ever. Chase Hooper should not be a four to one favorite against anybody. I've messaged a couple of friends around. I'm like, man, it, I I don't like Peter Barrett much, but if I'm a betting man, like that's just too much juice for me. Like I'm I'm jumping on that. Like that's just just juicy. Now, if I want to break down Hooper's skill set, 
Uh, he is a southpaw, and as you said, the, the first note I have on here is his striking is just ugly. Now, to go back to Jordan Levitt for a second, Chase Hooper looks like Israel Adesanya on the feet compared to Jordan <laughs> Levitt. Um, and that's not a compliment to Chase Hooper. Uh, the, the, and the reasons why I will say he's a better striker than Levitt is that Hooper has some natural tools that isn't developed, but they are there. So first of all, like he's extremely tall with long arms. Well, that's always a good thing to have when you're a striker. Um, he has insane toughness, which we saw against Alex Caceres. Like even though he was getting hit, he was marching Caceres down. He does throw punches down the pipe, straight punches down the pipe. He doesn't really throw looping punches, but they're slow, which is really surprising for someone that his age. Um, but the negative is, is that he really telegraphs his shots. That's why Caceres was able to just dart around his shots so easily. And he threw the same one-two combination over and over again. This is the guy who seems like he spends so much time in the ground grappling. And he's developed this one-two punch that he just follows up and shoots. And it works on all his grappling partners. And that's not the case in the UFC. Now, he will often shoot immediately, but he's not a great wrestler. But he makes up for it by just kind of being relentless and like even to the point of just bull rushing his opponents. Like he actually did get Alex Caceres' back like one or two times in that fight because he just bull rushed him and Caceres really wasn't ready for that. And he is a legitimate legitimate submission threat. Uh, he's very aggressive to get the submission. He uses his long arms and legs very well. Uh, some slick back takes. Uh, he'll jump down on an ankle or knee and get it. Uh, submissions off his back. And if he and he'll also open up some ground opponents on top. That's probably I talked about him way more than I should have. Now I'm over the, to Peter Barrett. Peter Barrett is a guy that got on the contender series because they were looking for someone last minute, and his manager happened to get a call and said, "Do you have anybody?" He said, "Well, we can throw Peter Barrett in there," and then he got in. Now, um, is Southpaw? He wants to, he wants to brawl. He does well to slide into the pocket, unload shots, but most of his shots are completely opposite than what. Um, his opponent Hooper throws, he throws a lot of looping wild punches. His overhand left is his best strike. Uh, but he will, he will sometimes overthrow and kind of leave him like lose balance, leave him open for a counter shot or to be taken down. He also pulls his head straight back to avoid. And he really, really struggled in his last fight with the speed of uh, Yusuf Salal. The, he does throw some decent kicks to the body and he's got some pretty good clinch boxing. Uh, he'll mix in a takedown, but he's a very, very weak defensive wrestler. Though he does, uh, he does work back to his feet, but he often gives up his back when he does. And he was almost submitted by Yusuf Salah like two or three times in that fight. So I'm trying to spend way more time in this fight because this fight is not good. This looks, this is a, a regional fight to me, or, or or maybe a contender series fight. Like this is should not be in the UFC. Uh, like I said, Hooper shouldn't be a four to one. Favor on anybody? Think, think this should be a pick 'em fight. Like, yeah, he, he might be a negative one fifteen. However, the reason why I'm leading to Hooper is Hooper's twenty one. So I think there's areas for growth with him, and I'm assuming there's areas of growth. Where Barrett's thirty four, do I expect to see him grow anymore? No, I don't. But if he can keep it standing, which is a good pot, not, you know, forty five percent, forty seven percent possibility, like he he should win this fight. I don't think he does. He's, he'll he'll probably overthrow 
fall down something and Hooper will get him down. And I think Hooper will get a submission. So I'm going to take Hooper by first round submission. But if you're one of these guys who likes to dog a pass, like this is a this is definitely a dog play. If you if you think the uh, if you think like me, I think the odds are way way off. Next up at the UFC 256 early prelims, we have a heavyweight clash between Sergey Spivak and Dana White's Contender Series alum Jared Vanderaa. Spivak, the 25-year-old Moldovan, is 11 and 2 in his mixed martial arts career. He is 2 and 2 since joining the UFC. Vanderaa, 28 years old, making his uh, debut in the UFC on fairly short notice after winning via first round TKO on November 4th. Currently, Spivak sitting as a comfortable favorite around minus 225. You can get Vanderaa around plus 185 or 190. How do you feel about this one, Keith? So we just talked about how bad the first fight is. Like, this doesn't get much better. I'm not that high on either guy. I'll start with Spivak. I mean, he's a student of Fedor Amenico, so I do like that. Um, on the feet, pretty flat-footed, though he does work a pretty decent jab. I mean, he jabbed up Carlos Felipe in his fight. He does throw punches straight down the pipe. We'll throw with some kicks, but he's not really a great athlete, so there's still you know, kind of a work in progress. Uh, defensively, has some holes, just kind of covers up kind of pillars. Uh, but he is a pretty solid wrestler. He, he's got some good entries, likes the single leg, the snatch single. Uh, if you go up a body, he'll throw a lateral drop. Uh, he's also willing to just grind against the fence uh, if he can't get the takedown and just kind of win a boring fight. Um, and not much of a submission threat, more of a ground and pounder if he's on top. Move over to uh, Vander, um student Dan Henderson. He also trained with Dominic Reyes. I'm not that high on this guy at all. I wasn't high on him in the contender series. I'm still not high on him. He's flat-footed, uh, very slow, very unathletic, uh, does throw a jab, but kind of loses power because he pulls back when he punches. Uh, he really struggled in one of his fights to block leg kicks against Henan Ferreira. Uh, if he gets to the clinch, he does some pretty good work, and that's where um, he started getting the victory in the contender series. Dirty box, okay wrestler, looks for body locks to get takedown. Uh, though he is a pretty weak take uh, uh, takedown defense, like he's been taken down by some low level guys. Pretty solid chin. I haven't seen him rock too much. Got some good cardio. Um, but he won against a guy who took the fight in like three days' notice, uh, Harry Hunsucker. And Hunsucker was like piecing him up a little bit in the beginning. Um, both guys are really low level. I'm going to take the guy I've seen win in the UFC before. Uh, not to mention that. Um, like I said, Vendor was getting pieced up by Harry Hunsucker, so I think Spivak could probably do the same. And uh, so I'll take Spivak for third round, TKO, ground and pound. One thing I want to point out, I saw an interview with Vendor with uh, James Lynch, and it was like really, very, very hard to listen to. And then he did an interview after the Contender Series. It was like the same thing. Like, <laughs> this guy might have like, even though I said I haven't seen him get rocked and he's got a good chin, like, this guy, I don't know. Something's going on with him. Like, he might have CTE, too. That's that's a scary thought ahead of and, your Octagon debut. Yeah, and, and I'm not some doctor or anything. So I could, he could just be a guy who kind of mumbles and stuff, which I actually naturally mumble myself. But he's really hard to listen to. So what's your pick in this one? Oh, sorry. I had I, I, taken Spivak. I'm going to take him by third round TKO. Well, certainly here is hoping 
that uh, Jared Vanderrod does not already have symptoms of, you know, traumatic or repetitive brain injury. But in the unfortunate event that he does, he is fighting someone who's not likely to make it much worse. Uh, Four fights into his UFC career, I'm still not sure what Sergei Spivak is good at or what he's good at to a UFC level. It's funny that, you know, he he is a a protege or at least a a student of Fedor Emelianenko because that's the difference in being well-rounded when you're a journeyman versus the best fighter on the planet. Because if you stick Fedor in a video game, he's a 9 or 10 in everything, you know, in his prime. Whereas Spivak is about a 5 or a 6 in everything, which just leaves me saying, okay, what does he do well enough to really threaten, say, a top 15 UFC heavyweight? I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I did a Sherdog roundtable ahead of his UFC debut, and I just pointed out that, yeah, he's undefeated and he's 24 years old. Those are both good things. But... His last three fights before winning or before entering the UFC were against Travis Fulton, Tony Lopez, and Ivo Cook. And for those who don't know, Ivo Cook is about the fourth best light heavyweight in Croatia. So I just said, there's nothing Spivak has done so far to convince me that he's UFC material. And really, it's been the same ever since. He has lost resoundingly to the two decent heavyweights he's fought. Walt Harris blew him out of the water in under a minute. Marcin Tybura won all three rounds against him. And then he's beaten Tai Tuivasa, who needed an invite back to the UFC. It looks like he's coming back. And, and Carlos Felipe. Just there, There's nothing there for Spivak. He's a, a decent technical kickboxer for a heavyweight. But he's not that much faster of hand or foot than heavyweights that are 20 pounds bigger than he is which is the kind of advantage you would need if you were going to be a 235-pound heavyweight in the UFC. He doesn't have it. And he's a decent wrestler, but Marcin Tybura, like, took him down at will for the last two rounds of their fight, and Spivak really couldn't get up. I mean, I, all, all that to say, I still think he's going to beat Vanderock because that fight on the Contender Series was just one of the worst things I ever saw. And you're absolutely right. Vanderock was in trouble early on. Like, he was getting pieced up. He was getting hurt, and just in the style of low-level heavyweight fights, they happened to fall into a position where Vanderaa had him stuck against, you know, stuck on the ground, kind of near the cage, and from there just walloped him. But yeah, like Vanderaa is one of the less promising heavyweights I've seen come into the UFC even this year. So give me Spivak, and I'm gonna say uh, Spivak by a third-round finish of some kind as well. Uh, give me TKO, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's like a club and sub type thing where Vanderaa's just tired and gives up his back. We move from the early prelims into the middle prelims with a rapidly thrown together strawweight matchup between Tisha Torres and the debuting Sam Hughes. Hughes got the call just a couple weeks ago when Torres's original partner, uh, Angela Hill, was diagnosed with COVID. So Hill's out, Hughes is in on short notice. Uh, Tisha, the tiny tornado Torres is 11 and 5 as a mixed martial artist, 7 and 5 in the UFC. She is just 31 years old despite having been a part of the UFC strawweight division from the very beginning. Uh, Hughes is 28. She is 5 and 1 in her career and as previously stated, she is making her UFC debut on about 3 weeks notice having fought most recently in LFA. Uh 
I have the feeling we might differ on this, but from what I've seen of Hughes, I'm not dead sure that that she's going to pan out in the UFC at all. I mean, she's a, a huge underdog here, as you would expect. Torres is around minus 450. Hughes around <clears throat> Hughes around plus 350. But I've, I've, what I've seen of Hughes is she's a, a classic kind of wrestle grappler. Uh, she's a big framed woman for the strawweight division. Uh, she's fought at 125. She's fought at 120 pound catch weights. But of course, my first introduction to her was as part of, uh, you know, Crystal Vanessa Demopoulos's highlight reel going into her appearance on the contender series. And considering how Demopoulos has panned out to be, you know, a highlight reel of the highlight reel person, you know, puts you two steps removed from from UFC material, maybe in in my mind. The only thing I see her having as as an advantage on Torres once they get, we get in there is size. Torres, there's never been a more appropriate nickname than Tiny Tornado. She is a very, very tiny uh, person, even by straw weight standards, who gets by on plus athleticism and a fantastic work rate, again, even by straw weight standards. Uh, Torres is a good wrestler, offensively and defensively, good uh, good striker, looked great in in. Uh, beating Brianna Van Buren over the summer and snapping that four-fight uh, losing streak. I I had sort of written Torres off going into that, but she just looked like a new fighter there. So w- whatever it is that's given her a new lease on life, uh, I'm I'm picking it to continue running right through uh, Sam Hughes. Give me Torres by a lopsided unanimous decision. Yeah. I'm going to jump in right where you left off about Torres' last fight against Brianna Van Buren. I mean, she looked fantastic. She looked, like, rejuvenated out there. Uh, She was rocking. We saw the very best of her. I mean, fighting from both stances, high volume. Uh, She's always had, as you mentioned, the tiny tornado. You talked about the tiny part, but also the tornado, and that's she kind of blitzes you with attacks. Like, And then not only does she blitz you, but it's fast hands with big combos and good kicks. And she'll mix those kicks in with her combinations. Uh, she's solid in the clinch because, as you mentioned, she's I mean, she's ripped, absolutely ripped. But she that's a position where she can get out-muscled a lot by bigger girls for the weight class, like a Joanna Young-Jacek. But Van Buren is not big for the weight class, but she is a, like a brute. She like, she's a, comes from a wrestling background. And Tisha did all right in that, especially in the first round where there was a lot of clinching. Um, Tisha, well, we didn't see in the video, she, she doesn't look for takedowns much, but if she gets taken down, she can work well back to her feet. And she does have the cardio to kind of really push the pace. Now, I pride myself on, on being someone who watches a lot of tape study on fighters, especially fighters that are making the UFC debuts. I didn't really get the chance with Sam Hughes because sitting, I think this fight was announced yesterday. So I had just today to kind of scramble to see what I got. But a lot of things you were, you're throwing down, uh, I'm picking up. She's she's big. She's she's big framed woman, as you mentioned. I like her output. She's also high output. So this could be some fun exchanges. She's a composed striker, good boxing, pretty fast hands. I like her jab. I like her vision. She sees a lot of punches coming at her and uses good head movement. And she has some some good torque on her on her leg kicks. 
Yeah, you mentioned the you said wrestle boxer. She will mix into some takedowns, but I think she she seems like she from what I've seen, she prefers it to be on the feet. If I'm evaluating what I've seen of her, she looks like a solid addition to the UFC roster. Like she looks like a girl that could use a little more seasoning and like a contender series bout would make a lot of more sense for her. And and I would be excited if she was on the contender series like roster. But you know, she's getting the opportunity to jump in at the moment and she's kind of skipping that. That says Tisha Torres is a tough matchup for anybody making their UFC debut based on her experience and her skill level. To take a fight on four or five days' notice against Tisha Torres does is not a good plan for for success. So I'm going to take Torres just to simply outpoint her and cruise to a decision. But I, I think I think Hughes, I think she's going to be better in the UFC than you think. I think she's going to do all right. And I mean, you might be right. I'm already the one who kind of prematurely filed away Torres as done. Just I mean. In the UFC, who she lost to? Rose Namajunas, Jessica Andrade, Ioana Jacek, Wei Li Zhang, yeah. and Marina Rodriguez. The first four of those were either oh, champs or top five fighters at the time. And Rodriguez was close to the top five. She was at least a top ten yeah. fighter and really just at the height of her powers. Just They yeah. were all women that T- Torres couldn't hang with physically. Yeah, Tisha Torres is that girl who's like, she's going to be, just from her skill set, she's going to be cemented in that top 15, you know, lower half of the top 15. But just from the, just her size, she'll never get over that that highest echelon, like getting up there to fight for a title. But if there was an Adelaide division, she would, she might be the favorite to be the champion. Um, but I think she might be. Yeah, and uh, Hughes. I mean, like I said, that's a tough matchup for her. But I think she's gonna do okay. Uh, I think uh, she'll be a girl that might get a couple wins in the UFC. Next up, we have the second of three. Featherweight matchups on the night as Billy Quarantillo and Gavin Tucker will duke it out. Tucker, 34-year-old Canadian, is 12-1 as a professional mixed martial artist. He is 3-1 in the UFC. He'll be taking on Quarantillo, who is 15-2 overall. The 32-year-old is 3-0 in the UFC since uh, his successful appearance on Dana White's Contender Series last July. Right now, the odds super close on this one. Quarantillo around minus 130. If you like Tucker, you can get him around plus 110. Keith, who do you like in this one? Well, first thing I'll say is I I like the fight. I think this is a really good stylistic matchup that's going to be a lot of fun. So I chatted out in in the Sherdog Slack this week that one of my biggest surprises is I always think of Gavin Tucker as a prospect, and I'm like, Wait a minute, the dude's 34 years old. Like he's definitely not a prospect. Uh, when I talk about his skill set, uh, he's a southpaw fighter that is pretty elusive. He's got pretty good fluidity in his strikes, fast hands, uh, fights at a high output, some good snap on his strikes. I love how he closes his distance with his strikes. He kind of has a very blitzing style, uh, kind of like a male version of the girl we just talked about, Tisha Torres. I love that he changes his stances mid-strikes. It's something that Israel Adesanya does. It just sets you up for um, being able to unload power a little bit more in combination. It also leads you to have different angles, change your mind way through. Uh, Accurate left hand, mixes kicks in well, hard kicks too. And you know I love that step in knee that he could hit Justin James with. You know I was going to mention that. He has been rocked in the past, I mean, including Justin James' fight. 
and, and you know, go back to the Rick. I mean, Rick Glenn beat the brakes off of him in, the, in their fight. Uh, he isn't. He he will go for a takedown, but isn't an offense. You know, much of an offense wrestler. But if you get ta- if he gets taken down, he's pretty good at scrambling to his feet. Um, he he does like to work uh, to pass guard in, in the fights, and he has a submission threat. So I like Gavin Tuck. Now move with Billy Quintoro, a guy who came up from the contender series. Uh, another guy I like. He's got some pro boxing experience. But though he has a pro boxing experience, I actually think his striking is just kind of serviceable. He, he's not. He's not a very technically soundtrack, but just kind of makes up for it by being tough and, and just gritty. Uh, not a great athlete, but, you know, like when you mentioned, um, oh, God, who did he fight in his debut? Um, uh, Kilburn, Spike. Jacob Kilburn. Well, Carlisle, that was Carlisle. Kyle, I'm sorry, sorry. I think it was both their second fight in the UFC. I'm sorry. I, I yeah. forgot. Yeah, sorry. Kyle is the one I was thinking about. Like, you think about the athleticism between Carlisle and Quarantello. Quarantello just beat him by just being more gritty than the guy. Mm-hmm. Um his best strike is definitely his overhand right, uh, and he constantly works. Like that's how he 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 beats guys. He he does struggle if you can force him to fight off his back foot. He does have okay power, not crushing power, but he will, he mixes his takedowns in well with his striking. Uh, he's not a guy just shoots like he'll throw a combination shoot off of that. Chain wrestles very well. He's relentless with the takedown. Uh, he can be taken down himself, and he does have. Weak top control because he's so aggressive on top, constantly looking for submissions. He last I checked, he's a Brazilian just to brown belt. He might be a black belt by now, I'm not really sure. Uh, he is a submission threat, though he will put himself in some compromising uh positions, scramble, you know, scrambling, looking for a submission, and has taken some serious damage off his back. But the best thing about Quintella's game is what we saw in the Kyle Kyle fight is his cardio, like he's just a workhorse. I like both these guys. This is one of the fights that I'm, I was having a hard time picking, but I'm actually going with the uh, underdog of this one, and I'm taking Tucker. He's such a great striker. I think if you can avoid some of the takedowns from uh, from Quintrillo, he'll have a lot of success. And even if he doesn't uh, avoid all the takedowns, he showed me enough that I believe that he'll be able to scramble back to his feet. Once on the feet, I think he, he'll he be able to pick part Quintillo. So I'm going to take Tucker. I'm going to take him by third-round TKO because that's how much I like his striking. But I think it's going to be a really fun back-and-forth affair, and that's why I'm locking this in as my fight-of-the-night pick. I know most people are going to take the Ferguson-Olivera fight, which I understand why. I think that was just the obvious choice. So I'm going to go with this as my fight-of-the-night pick. I I thought I was I thought we were going to have some dissension here. I thought that I was going to be the only one of us who went with Tucker on this one. So no, no dissension thus far in the, in the card. Uh, I kind of had to remind myself or be reminded that Gavin Tucker is a pretty good fighter. I mean, he suffered a candidate for beatdown of the year and then disappeared for over a year. I mean, close to two years. Came back and beat someone that yeah, we're not we're not sure how good he is. So I, I had to remember how good uh, Tucker was. And the thing is, he came back from the Glenn fight improved. He he just seems like a better uh, offensive and defensive uh, wrestler where he was already a, a, a good striker. Uh, Quarantillo, I really like him as a fighter, but I think Tucker is going to be... Uh, He's going to be the the best person that 
Quarantillo's fought yet. He beat Carlisle. Uh, I mean, we I already talked about this fight. We talked about this fight just a couple weeks ago because Carlisle just fought. But I was one of the people that actually gave that fight to Carlisle. Although I don't think it's a robbery. I'm fine with Quarantillo having won. But Billy Quarantillo was made to beat Spike Carlisle, and he still just barely did it. Like, it, you know, get the Joe Rogan. If you designed a fighter in a lab, you know, to beat Spike Carlisle, it would be somebody who is kind of proof against being blitzed in the first 90 seconds of a fight and can keep putting pressure on after the other guy is is obviously tired. And even with all that, he still barely beat Carlisle. Uh, I like Tucker to to win this one. Um, I, I think Tucker, the new improved Tucker, will be the one who keeps it on the feet. I don't think Quarantillo will be able to get him down, and I think he'll want to. Uh, I don't know if we'll see a finish in this one, but give me Tucker uh, via decision. The UFC 256 prelims power on with another women's strawweight matchup. This one between Mackenzie Dern and Verna Janjaroba. Dern, the 27-year-old Arizonan by way of Brazil, is 9-1 in her mixed martial arts career. She is 4-1 in the UFC, having defeated Ashley Yoder, Amanda Bobby Brundage, at the time Cooper, Hannah Cyphers and Randa Marcos, most recently this September. Her only loss is to Amanda Hebus last October. Janjaroba, the 32-year-old Brazilian, is the former Invicta FC strawweight champion. She is 16-1 as a professional mixed martial artist. She is 2-1 since coming over to the UFC last April, having lost to Carla Esparza, beaten Mallory Martin, and beaten Felice Herrig. This uh, this past August odds right now, slightly favor Dern. She's sitting around minus 185 Janjaroba around plus 160. I'll just say that I go back and forth on Dern. Either like prematurely dismissing uh, her MMA career and accomplishments or giving too much weight to them. You know, I, I was a little surprised to realize that. She's four and one in the UFC. Some of the people she's beaten were uh, well-matched for, for her to beat. Like, I mean, Hannah Cyphers is on four straight losses in the UFC, so obviously not the highest level. But Marcos couldn't have been much more tailor-made as someone for Mackenzie Dern to kind of show out on. And then, you know, before the, the Hebus fight, she was having weight problems. All of that adds together, you know, to to have me underestimating her a bit. I mean, she is a she is a fringe contender in this division. In fact, we just added her to the uh, the strawweight rankings on Sherdog this past weekend, just because we had a couple of strawweights uh, drop from the rankings for inactivity. I mean, she's like at number fourteen or number fifteen, but it's it's legit. She's she's been beating people in the UFC. On the other side, Janderoba just surprises me like pleasantly every time she fights i know that she doesn't have quite the same credentials as dern she's not an abu dhabi and mundial's champ but at what she does in terms of grappling like getting takedowns and then just being a crushing top control specialist i want to see this clash on the ground i i want to see if she can get dern to the ground i i want to see if she does what Dern will do. Is she going to just try to throw up submissions from the bottom and 
lose rounds if it doesn't work? Is she going to try to sweep? Just really, really excited to see this one. I think Dern is going to be much the larger woman in the cage. I mean, almost by definition, she's somebody who has missed weight by seven pounds for UFC fights before. But even in her post-childbirth, now no longer has trouble making 115 phase, she's going to be the larger woman than Janjaroba. She's always been uh, a plus athlete. It hasn't really shown out in her striking yet, but just in, in terms of her nimbleness and reflexes, you know, speed, strength, uh, especially on the ground. It's going to be tough sledding for Janjaroba. I, I want to pick the upset special here. I And I know I could end up just looking really dumb just because Janjaroba has a certain toughness and meanness and dog quality to her that really nobody has had who's fought Dern yet along with the grappling ability to, to back it up. So I have the feeling that this pick might make me feel dumb and it'll make me feel dumb for like a full 15 minutes because I certainly don't think she's going to tap Dern out, but I am going to go with Dern. I'm going to go with Dern by a decision where she doesn't win all three rounds and maybe arguably doesn't even win two, but she walks away with the judge's decision, you know, just 29, 28, maybe even a splitter. So it's not often where I, you talk more than me. I actually think you're going to have me beat on this one because this is actually one that I didn't dig that deep in because if you remember at the beginning of the, of the broadcast, I said there was one fight that I thought was a weird matchup, and I think this is it. And I understand why they made it. Basically, based on what you said, you want to see them hit the ground. I have a bad feeling that we might not see it any ground. Like We could see a very ugly kickboxing match by... You know, going down between two girls that are, for the most part, considered one-dimensional. Now, I'll start with Mackenzie Darren because she's the bigger name. She's not a great athlete on the feet, but she's been working with Jason Perillo on her striking, which I like that a lot, that she made that change. Um, he's done wonders with so many people. But until I actually see the improvements, I'm still going to just judge her as someone who just throws wildly, hoping to land. Uh, she does have a little power because... And and I don't want to sound like sexist or she's she's got a big lower body. Like she's got big hips and she generates power with those. But she's not very technically sound. She's kind of slow. I mean, Amanda Hibas was just running circles around her. But if she gets the fight to the ground, I mean, she's an absolute wizard. She's one of the greatest BJJ practitioners for women of all time. She's a five-time world champion in BJJ, has six mission wins in her short career. She's got incredible top control, so slick off her back. She showed crazy flexibility against um, Randall Marcos in her last fight. And if she doesn't submit you, she can just sweep you over and then eventually get the submission. Moving over to Jandaroba, she's also extremely one-dimensional. Does not want to stand and strike. She looks to get the fight to the the ground immediately has good entries though she's a pretty solid wrestler uh she is a brazilian juice tobacco no she doesn't have the accolades that mckenzie turn does because she kind of went the mma route more than the than the bjj route but she's very good i mean she got great top control uh she's a girl who looks more for she slowly looks for her submission she's not as dynamic as dern is like she looks for the position Work the submission, like she'll, you know, set up a head and arm triangle choke, just kind of work it slowly, rending choke, kind of work it slowly. But she's a legitimate uh, submission threat. So 
both these fighters know for the ground, which goes back to why I think it's going to be a stand-up affair. <laughs> uh, I don't think Dern is going to be able to take down Jandaroba, and I don't think Jandaroba is going to want to take Dern down. If they, if there is a takedown, I actually think it would be Jandaroba getting a takedown, which might be a very bad decision. I struggled making a pick because Dern is younger, so she's at the age where I should see a little more improvement. But you said something that really stood out to me is that dog quality in Jandaroba. She has that. I've seen that. I've seen her dig deep to get a win. I haven't seen Dern do that yet. Also, I go back to the, and it's been a while, but the Mizuki Inoue fight, there was a lot of portions where they had to slug it on the feet. And while Jandaroba is not comfortable, it's not a strength, she had to, like, she's She's been in fights. She's got a longer experience, so she's had to show a little bit on the feet. So I'm going to go with her simply because I've seen a little bit. And uh, she's a pretty big underdog, so I'm going to go. I'm going to call this my upset special because I haven't seen anybody other than me taking uh, – I mean, I'm sure there are people out there, but not many. So I'm going to say Verna Jandarobia is my upset special of the evening. There you go. The upset special of the evening and the first case of dissension between your two previewers here. That brings us to our featured prelim of the evening. Once again, in the 145-pound men's division as Cub Swanson takes on Daniel Pineda. Swanson, the 37-year-old Californian, is 26-11 and 11 as a professional mixed martial artist, 11-7 and 7 in the UFC. He is taking on Pineda, the 35-year-old Texan, is 27 and 13 with two no contests as a professional he is four and four in the ufc really that is a three and four run five or six years ago plus having won his return bout in dominant fashion over herbert burns at ufc 252 this past august i see right now that pineda is actually the slight betting favorite over the veteran uh pineda around minus 150 Swanson, you can get him as high as plus 130 right now. How do you feel about this one, Keith? Uh, so this is one of the fun fights on the card. Like This one should be a pretty good banger. I'll start with Cub Swanson. You know, he's 1-4 over his last five with the, you know, the win over Cron Gracie. Though, when you really dig into his record, the four losses he are all two really good fighters. I mean, they're Brian Ortega... Frankie Edgar, Hanato Moicano, and Shane Burgos. The th- you, you mentioned his age, 37. Him being 37 is more worrisome to me than the actual record of losing to those guys. Now, when I look at his skills, there's a lot to still like. I mean, he can sh- strike from both stances, which he always kind of like likes to mix it up to kind of get you guessing. He's still light on his feet, still elusive, pretty good footwork, good head movement. Now, the head movement is a thing because he keeps his hands so low that he kind of relies simply on his head movement. Uh, but he's a guy that even at 37, he hasn't slowed down. He still has good output, some good sting on his shots. which has kind of always been his thing. And the thing that I've always liked about his striking, the most, well, two things is his ability to strike while backing up while he's being attacked, you know, whilst, while cycling back or, or retreating from opponent. Uh, very few fighters have been able to do that in their career. Swanson is actually one that is able to do that. Um, and he attacks the body. Like, I love that that's a thing that he really goes after, knowing that that'll pay dividends later on in the fight. 
Uh, incredible heart, incredible toughness. I mean, we saw that with the uh, Duho Choi fight. Is one of the one of my all time favorite fights. Might might be my favorite fight. I think he's way up there. Uh, he's a good grappler, though he's not much of a wrestler. Uh, has weak takedown defense. I was thinking about that Frankie Edgar fight. Uh, the I think it was the first one where Frankie Edgar just kept taking him down over and over again. Uh, move out Pineda. <laughs> I'm surprised he's 35. Just because I don't know. He just I don't know. He just I don't know why that stands out to me that he's 35. But it shouldn't surprise you because he's fought everywhere. He's fought everyone. He has so many fights. Um, but he might be peaking <laughs> in his career. 40 fights in, which is crazy when you think of. I said to the buildup of the Herbert Burns fight that I didn't think that suddenly 40 fights in that he's turning his his career around. He actually might have. Uh, He's well-rounded. He's not the most technically sound striker, but he just makes up for it for being so explosive. He's a good athlete. He throws hard. Uh, You pointed out on the roundtable in, the, in his last fight, there's a 100% finish rate uh, for his victories. He's 27 victories, 27 finishes, which is, like, crazy accomplishment. Like, there's very few people that can say something like that. Uh, decent wrestler, solid top control, good ground and pound, good in scrambles, just a good grappler overall. I mean, he outgrappled Herbert Burns in his last fight, which is a huge accomplishment alone. And he also has 18 career submissions. Uh, if this was two years ago, I would have called this a huge mismatch and easily taken Swanson. I mean, if, if it was one year ago, I might have easily taken Swanson. Uh, but I'm not doing that now. I'm actually picking Pineda. He looked great. He's looked great lately. Swanson's age, the amount of damage he's taken, and um, recent injury. Uh, I remember he got injured, uh, and that's why he's been out for a while, uh, during one of the grappling, the, the grappling circuit that he's been on. Swanson is tough, so I don't think he'll get finished, which is kind of ironic when I just kept saying that Pineda has all finishes. So I think it's going to be the first time Pineda gets a victory but does not get a stoppage. So I think we'll see history in the making with Pineda getting his first decision win. Hey, that that might be like the biggest upset of the night is like Pineda winning and actually having to go to the judges. Like, you know, we'll, we'll have to tell him not to go take a bathroom break during this fight. Uh yeah, I you know I I picked Pineda going into his last fight, and I was the only person on the Sherdog staff to pick him in you know our staff pick him among you know fifteen or eighteen writers and like a dozen forum moderators, and I knew it was a bit of a flyer. You know, I knew he was a huge underdog for a reason, coming in on short notice against someone who at least his name is Burns. But I said, you know what? Pineda is an incredibly opportunistic finisher, and uh, Herbert Burns is not Gilbert Burns. They, I mean, their, their their fight styles aren't even that similar broadly. But uh, I figured Pineda would have the advantage on the feet and on the ground. He at least just has that kind of venomous, opportunistic uh, submission game. I, so I, I liked his chances, even if I understood why he was such a big underdog. I was hoping I'd be able to make this my upset special going into this one, but uh, people seem to have caught on uh, that Pineda is a dangerous guy. Uh, positive drug test erased his night of work in PFL last year. Otherwise, he'd be on a six-fight winning streak right now with all wins coming by finish. And the thing about the Herbert Burns fight is he didn't have to pull 
you know, something out of his, out of his back pocket. He walloped Burns, just, you know, took it to him completely. And I think it's a combination of that and seeing that Swanson, always a dangerous guy and always an exciting guy. But the thing about Cub Swanson has never been that he's unbeatable. I mean, he's been a top 10, top 15 guy against two divisions for, uh, you know, over a decade now. I mean, primarily at, at featherweight for over a decade now. But he's always taken his losses along the way. The shame about the Jose Aldo fight and being forever part of Jose Aldo's legend and his highlight reel is that that's the only time the dude's ever been knocked out in his life. He's actually otherwise a pretty rugged guy. I mean, he's been hurt before, and some of his submission losses are the, the club and subtype where he was rocked, you know, where he was getting beat up on the ground. But his main problem, as, as you mentioned, uh, aside from the fact that he's 37 and just clearly slowing overall, is that he's never been a good defensive wrestler. I like Pineda to win this, and I like him to win it by getting or giving at least as good as he gets on the feet and being able to get it to the ground when he wants, where he will beat up on Swanson and probably look for an opportunistic submission while Swanson's trying to scramble out of there or just gives up his back because he's getting hammered on from top position. Give me Pineda by uh, second round submission. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention about Pineda is you talked about the PFL and him not getting those fights and how long of a winning streak is he was going to go against Lance Palmer while Lance Palmer probably would have been the favorite Pineda's submission skills. Like that might've like Lance Palmer could have fell right into a guillotine or something like that. And we could be talking about PFL champion and millionaire, Daniel Pineda, the richest fighter in Houston, you know, at least for like that week. (laughs) The UFC 256 main card opens up with a heavyweight delight between the two fighters with the greatest disparity in not age that that will be coming up next, but the greatest disparity in professional fight experience in Junior Dos Santos and Surreal Gun. Dos Santos, the former heavyweight champion, is 36 years old. He is 21 and 8 as a mixed martial artist. The last 15 victories and seven losses of that tally have come in the UFC octagon. He'll be taking on Surreal Gan, the 30-year-old Frenchman, 6-0 in his mixed martial arts career. The last three of those having come in the UFC. He beat Rafael Pessoa, Dante Mays, and Tanner Bozer in his three UFC fights. Gan sits as a prohibitive favorite. Around minus 425, with Dos Santos available around plus 335. Are those lines in line with how you see this fight playing out, Keith? Okay, so I, I'm going to take Gon to win. So I just kind of kill the spence right away. That said, hold on, let me back up. Not only am I taking Gon, I feel very good about that pick. I feel very confident about that pick. But he is taking a big step up in competition Big difference in experience. He shouldn't be an over four to one favorite. Like you know, if you want to be minus two eighty, like that would seem a lot more sense. But negative four twenty, four twenty five, or I mean, that's that's out of hand. I mean, um, let's 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 start with Junior Dos Santos for a second. So uh, Junior Dos Santos is past his prime. Like I'm not 
breaking any news here. So let's just get that right out of the way. That says he still does some things well. He's still light on his feet. He still has good lateral movement, good head movement, uh, nice feints. He's a, he has that crushing uppercut. Uh, he's added in some kicks to his game, kind of you know, at the later half of his career. He is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He has solid takedown defense. Uh, but now let's get to the things that are bad. His hands are slowed down. Are they? They are still pretty fast for a heavyweight. They're still faster than most heavyweights. But that was the biggest part of the game. His hand stays hold on. Um, he does, as I talked about, that uppercut. If he lands it, that is a kill switch shot. It also is a huge like no no because it's not often you should lead with a lead uppercut. I mean, you ask Chuck Liddell how that works out. Um, and his chin has been really faded. Move over to Surilgan. Just an absolute fantastic athlete. High output striker. Very quick. Very elusive. Great footwork. Uh, fights from either the southpaw or the orthodox stance. He's accurate. He just faints well. He has a, a good jab. I love that he actually throws a double jab, which we don't really see. You know, People talk about not seeing a jab in MMA. A double jab is even less rare. I love that he I, I can't remember who I talked about also. Uh, there was Gavin Tucker. I talked about Gavin Tucker in the mid-combo. He switches stances. And sw- that gives you a different angle. Surreal Gon does that too, which you never see at heavyweight. A beautiful overhand right. He throws combinations. He's got good power. Uh, he targets the body both with his punches and his kicks. He has the front kick, leg kicks, body kicks. You know I love the step-in knees he was throwing against Tana Bozer. Uh, his vision he seems like he sees so many attacks coming around him. Um, we haven't seen too much on the ground, but he, I, he actually was taking down Dontel Mays, uh, beat him up on the ground a little bit, got a submission. He had a couple submissions uh, before he entered the UFC. So I really like Ann. I already said I'm picking him a win. And, you know, JDS has three losses in a row, three bad knockouts in a row, but he has so much more experience. He's faced way better competition. And also, he has almost as many UFC title fights than Gon has fights in general. So, but the biggest reason why I'm, reach, I'm leaning to Gon is, is JDS usually beats people by being the better athlete, having an advantage in speed. And he won't have this in this. Like, everything he does, Gon does better. So I kind of only see him having a puncher's chance, landing something big. Uh, I don't think he does. I think Gon gets him out by third-round TKO. But I still don't think he should be a. Oh, you know, this might close a five hundred favorite. I'm I'm feeling so much of what you're putting down there. There are are so many reasons that the line you know should be closer than it is, or there are questions hanging over over gone that really shouldn't be hanging over anyone who's over you know, a four to one favorite. His his three UFC wins, I mean, Bozer is looking like a better and better win in hindsight because Bozer went from there to start looking pretty good. But Mays and Pessoa are, you know, were and are two of the lower level heavyweights in the UFC. So for Gon to walk through them was kind of expected. In comparison, you know, Dos Santos has just been done no favors by the UFC. Those three losses, Nganu and Blades. So those are two top three guys. And then Jarzinho Rosenstrike, who really is a more experienced 
uh, version of, of Gon, and JDS won the first round of that fight. Like, he was doing fine. He was even doing fine in the second until he just got jacked off of the floor by an uppercut, and then it was all downhill from there. And that kind of goes to what you said, you know, that just, you know, his chin is not what it used to be. I would also say that his cardio is not what it used to be. He used to be one of the more physically fit and durable heavyweights on roster. It's no, that's no longer a guarantee. Uh, certainly, his, you know, his hands have slowed. And, you know, for a, a guy who's boxing, depended on hand speed, foot speed, occasionally chin, for those things all to be fading, it's, it's all a recipe for bad news against someone like Gon. He's just, he's so big. He's so strong. He has a, a solid work rate. I mean, he, we've seen him in the third round of fights. And granted, it was the third round of a fight he was winning handily, but he wasn't gassing out. I, I don't see where, I, I don't see like where, where Dos Santos wins this one. I think it's going to be kind of depressing since we're talking about just one of the nicest and most likable guys uh, in UFC history. Uh, true ambassador for the sport. But I like Gon in this one. And even though I could see Dos Santos, you know, lasting a while, especially if Gon doesn't come out like a house on fire, give me Surreal Gon by, by first round knockout. I think just it's going to be too fast, too quick, uh, coming right out the gate. Dos Santos will be like an old car trying to merge into freeway traffic, and he, he's just going to get splattered. We now move to the middleweight division, and the other dance partners of the two main dance partners from last Saturday's main event at UFC on ESPN 19, as Ronaldo Jacare Souza, who had been scheduled to face Marvin Vittori this weekend, takes on Kevin Holland, who had been uh, scheduled to fight Jack Hermanson in last week's main event, but was postponed because of a positive COVID test. Souza, the 41-year-old Brazilian, just turned two days ago, is 26-8 and eight as a professional mixed martial artist with one no contest. He is 9-5 and five in the UFC. Holland, the 28-year-old, is 20 and 5 in his professional career. He is 7 and 2 in the UFC and most notably, he is 4 and 0 in 2020. Uh quietly becoming one of the breakout stars of the year. So while 2020 has been a miserable year for the sport as a whole and for many of its practitioners as individuals, it's been a pretty good year for Kevin the Trailblazer Holland. Keith, before we even jump into this one, let me ask you this. Uh, if the the matchups had played out as originally scheduled, whom did you favor in Holland versus Hermanson last weekend? Uh, I was gonna I would have went with Hermanson. So would I. And and now I'm wondering. Now that <laughs> Yeah. Just I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel about Jacare versus Vittori? Uh, that this one is a little tougher because of just how physically imposing Vittori is. But I picked against Vittori a week ago, so I'm not gonna, you know, hindsight with him winning. You know, it's a little. I don't want to change. I probably would have went with Jacare, but that one I would really have to see the tape study to kind of really dig into Jacare how I feel about that one. 
I, I would have kind of leaned towards uh, Vittori in this one. But yeah, last weekend I had uh, Hermanson big time over Vittori, and I would have had him big time over, over Holland. So shows what I know. I will say, in, oh, um, let me get the odds out of the way. Holland is actually sitting as a slight favorite right now. You can get him around uh, minus 125, minus 130. Soza, if you like him as the underdog, he is available around plus 110. I like Holland in this one. I think the odds are are right about on. Uh, this should be close to a pick him, and it is. But Holland, has, has he's looked fantastic this year. Not only has he fought week in and, and week out, it seems, because not only has he fought four times this year, he's fought four times in basically the space of like four and a half months. But he's looked good. Uh, it's weird to say about a guy who's seven and two in the UFC. You know, he's only lost twice in the UFC, and it's to two good fighters in Tiago Santos and Brandon Allen. But he just seems more focused. He he seemed like too much of a wild man uh, throughout a lot of his uh, previous UFC career. But he now just seems he seems more buckled down. You know, he throws something more resembling a straightforward uh, boxing game without breaking into like, you know, just weird random techniques just because he feels like it. Uh, I, I like him in this fight. I, I don't. I don't think Jacare really has the tools that made him so great and just made him, you know, a top five guy in the in the middleweight division for such a long time, you know from strike force through his early UFC run, because obviously along with Dern, he's, you know, probably the most conventionally accoladed grappler on the card. That's not gone away, but he used to be a good wrestler and he used to be a very solid striker for how good a grappler he was. And for how late he got into MMA as he's slowed, I feel as though he's lost a lot of that. You know, he's, he's looked out of sorts on, on the feet. And he's not been able to get people to the ground uh, like he used to and not been able to get to, them to the ground in positions where he was at an advantage. Because the thing used to be he used to have takedowns that he'd drive people into the ground and he'd already be in a good position. Like he just he'd land inside control or he'd already be moving to their back because they had the wind knocked out of them. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum spent a lot of time on the ground with them uh, over two years ago and just wasn't like he was fine. He's, he more than survived. He held his own. Uh, yeah, give me Holland in, in this fight. I think uh, Holland will be able to touch him up on the feet. I don't think Sosa's going to be able to get it to the ground when or how or how often he wants. I I can't necessarily see a finish, but give me Holland by uh, by unanimous decision in this one. Yeah, this is, this is a tough one. So, Jacare... You know, you mentioned he's 41 years old. He hasn't fought in a year, so there's so many questions about him. It's, it's hard to really know what he has left. I mean, he has shown signs of decline. I mean, he's lost some fights recently. Uh, what he does good, and this kind of jumped out in my reef. I, I thought the decline for his demise was going faster than it was when I rewatched this film. I'm like, well, he was a lot more competitive in some of these fights than I expected. Uh, he still marches forward, which he's always kind of did, like marches his guys down. He still hits hard. He throws those tight hooks. 
He parries, punches well. Like he's always been a, a, a guy that likes to hand fight. Uh, he attacks the body. He is uh, slow, though. He's really slowed down. He was never the fastest guy anyways. Uh, he's flat-footed. He really loads up on his on his, on his his shots. And his, his chin is starting to become a question mark, too, at, at this stage. Um, as you mentioned, though, he's one of the greatest ground fighters ever. Uh, his escape... In that submission from Jack Herm- uh, Hermanson is one of the like funnest things to watch. It's absolutely insanity how he got out of it. Uh, I I am also a little worried about his wrestling though. Like has it declined? It's, the wrestling is one of the hardest things uh, for a skill to keep going the later you're gone because it managed so much an explosion. And other than maybe Damian Maya, he's probably the best gr- uh, like takedowns for a guy who, you know, comes from a BJJ background. Like, there's a lot of guys who come from a wrestling background that are also great at BJJ. But, I mean, guys who strictly come from BJJ uh, and then kind of have to learn to wrestle, he's always had good entries. Uh, though his defensive wrestling has faded. Like, Jack Manson took him down. Uh, cardio, though, was surprisingly still pretty good. Uh, he went 25 minutes in his last two fights. Uh, move over to Holland. Long and lengthy guy, uh, very elusive. As he, he actually had did the media day today, and he, he was talking about the Vittorio Hermanson fight, and he said how he's not like them. He wouldn't have got hit that much because of how elusive is. He's got good movements. He does throw from his hips, so can, his strikes can kind, kind of be a little wild. Uh, but I'm impressed by how relaxed he is on his feet, and that just comes from having like, 25 professional fights. Uh, okay power, but you know not... Not crushing power, but you know, pretty good snap, decent accuracy. He does well to be all the way in or all the way out. Like he can use his long range to pick apart, or he can like slide all the way in where he's pretty strong in the clinch. He kind of does a UL Romero impression where he kind of lulls you asleep a little bit and then suddenly explodes. Uh, whether it be with like a push kick to find range, um. Or just like a, a, a blitzing attack. I love that he does. He does. He it's hard to hit because he rolls with the punches. Uh, he does pull his head straight back, which will leave him open to like a a fake shot, then a you know entry. But I like that he rolls, which kind of makes him. He doesn't get hit clean. He also covers distance so quick because he has his long legs. It's like it's like one step, and he's across the cage. Uh, when he gets in the clinch. He's just a like, like he's just a dog. Like he'll be the guy who's like will slap, like palm slap you in the ear, um, then hit you with the knee. Will go for a takedown, but not a wrestling threat anymore, especially not the Jacare. Uh, though he's been hard to take down himself and is a submission threat. Like, uh, so I flip flopped on this one. Like I can see the argument for both guys. I I don't know what's left in Jacare. The light heavyweight move was was bad. It didn't work, but he also lost to the current champion. So, like a lot of his losses, he's you know like he lost to Jack Hermanson and Yamahovich, and both those fights were competitive. Like he wasn't blown out the water. This could be a passing of the torch fight, like we saw just a week ago with OSP and and Jamal Hill. However, I'm going to take Jack Ray. I think he he can land some power shots still. I think he can can get some takedowns, and I didn't like Holland. I mean, Holland had trouble with 
Brandon Allen on top, and that fight wasn't that long ago. That was just over a year ago. And then go back to the Tiago Santos fight. Well, he almost got a couple submissions of Tiago Santos and was able to get positions. He also was searching for, for submissions and put himself in compromising positions. And if you do that against Jack Wright, his jiu-jitsu is elite of elite. I still think he can put you out if you do. So give me Jack Ray. I'm going to say he submits him. I say he gets second round uh, submission. And uh, yeah, I I originally put this as, I thought this was, it was going to be my upset special, uh, but I dare to pick Jandaroba, so. But nonetheless, we have more disagreement, which is good. That is the spice of life. The main card of UFC 256 moves on to the lightweight division as Renato Moicano Carnero takes on Rafael Fiziev. You know what? It's Rafael, isn't it? He's not Brazilian. Anyway, Moicano, 31 years old, is 14-3-1 as a mixed martial artist. He is 6-3 in the UFC. Uh, the rest of those fights primarily having taken place at featherweight, but he is up at lightweight now. He is taking on uh, Fiziev. The 27-year-old from Kyrgyzstan by way of Thailand, where he represents Phuket top team, and I believe is uh, a Muay Thai instructor there. He is 8-1 and one as a professional. He is 2-1 and one in the UFC. He lost his debut to uh, Magomed Mustafaev, just getting blitzed, as Mustafaev does to people, then coming back with wins over Alex White and most recently over Mark Jacquezi in uh, July of this year. Right now, uh, Fiziev is a slight favorite, around one, minus 145, minus 150, where you can get Moicano around plus 130. Who do you like in this one, Keith? So what I really like is uh, Fiziev taking a big step up in competition and facing a guy like Moicano. Um, I'll start with Moicano. He's well-rounded. Serve, serviceable striker, serviceable boxer. Doesn't do anything spectacular, but you know can win a striking battle. Uh, but his leg kicks are, are really fun. I mean, he blasted Calvin Cater with the leg kicks in, in their matchup. Uh, kind of won simply on those on those leg kicks, those those calf kicks and stuff. Uh, the one thing that there's two things that bother me about his striking though is that he doesn't use a lot of movement. He kind of has a Muay Thai style because he stands directly in front of his foe. Uh, that worked for a guy like. Jose Aldo, because of how hard he hit and how accurate it was, uh, that's not necessarily the case with Moicano. I'm also worried about his durability. I mean, he's been hurt and knocked out somewhat recently. I mean, talking about Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo hurt him. I know he didn't like the stoppage, but he did get hurt. And then the Korean zombie knocked him out with the like, first punch he landed. Uh, so that's definitely... Worrisome, maybe the move up to lightweight might fix that. Just not, not having as much of a weight cut could be the thing. And you know, he has mentioned how much of, uh, you know, how much he cut weight. That he was he was a guy that really struggled to make weight. He is a good wrestler, though. He is a very good submission game. Very slick back takes. And we saw him in the last fight. If he gets you back, he's probably going to submit you. Um, move over to Fiziev. I want I, 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 I cut my kind of short a little bit because I'm going to talk a lot about Fiziev because I just. I like this guy a lot. His striking is off the charts. As you mentioned, he's a Tiger Boy Tai head coach. Uh, I'm sorry, head striking coach. Uh, he is a little undersized for lightweight. Might be forced to move down to featherweight at one point. Uh, but, man, he, he's southpaw, 
but he can switch stances. He can fight well from both spots. He is so technically sound, not a lot of tells, fast hands, very explosive, good snap and pop on his shots, great power. He's so good at just sliding into range and then unloading with an arsenal of shots. Throws big combinations, and he keeps the pressure on you. He cuts off the cage. You can't get away from his, you know, you can't escape out from his attacks. He comes at you with a high guard. He's very hard to hit. Has great movement. Possibly the best body kicks in the division. Maybe the best body kicks in the UFC. Maybe the best body kicks in MMA. Like his body kicks are just. I mean, he like tore up Mark Dia Casey with with the with the body kicks. Uh, also can throw to the kicks to the legs. He has a very high like he'll, you know he'll kick your leg, kick your leg, and then check your chin with a high kick. Uh, he'll throw in a spinning uh, attack. Great clinch game. His plum clinch is great with his knees. He's a good offensive and defensive wrestler, which though he wants to keep on the feet. Like he's not someone you can take down. Um, though he isn't much of a submission threat if he gets there, and I would still definitely favor Moicano if the fight gets to the ground. This is a big step up for Fiziev, but I don't think he just passes the test. I think he aces the test. I think his striking is so good. And I don't trust Moicano's chin anymore. It might be better at 155, but he's got to show me first. And this is probably the best striker he's he's ever faced in his career, uh, which is a very bold statement to say because I think mean, he's faced Calvin Gator, he's faced Jose Aldo. I mean, he's faced really, I mean, a boxer like Korean Zombie. But I think Fiziev unloads on a huge combo. I think he puts him out in the first round. Not only is that a bold pick, but I'm stick. I'm I'm no longer taking my locks to be like negative 400 favorites. I'm gonna take fights that are a lot closer. So I'm locking this in as my lock of the night. I'm very confident Fiziev getting the win. Outstanding. I I like Fiziev in this fight for all the reasons you mentioned. Uh, I don't see it quite as lopsided just because I just because he he is so. Uh, relatively green as a competitor himself versus someone in Moicano who, I mean, it's not like Moicano's a 40 fight veteran, but he's been fighting really good people for a couple of years now. You know, his, his last like eight or 10 opponents are all better than anyone Fiziev has, has ever fought. The thing that, it, that I find encouraging on Fiziev's end is that Alex White really quickly realized he was on the gunnery range. He wanted that thing on the ground and he could not get it there. Fiziev stuffed him and kind of going back to what I said last week about Vittori versus Hermanson, uh, Fiziev didn't just stuff the takedowns. He made him pay for trying. Like that's what sets the tone of a fight. Like not only am I going to shuck you off my hips, but I'm going to belt you with something on the way out. Uh, Probably a body kick because that was the first time we really saw his, his body kick start to mark somebody up. Uh, I, I, I do like the move for Moicano up to lightweight. He wasn't a speedster, even at 145. So like that deficiency should hopefully be a little reduced. Uh, maybe his chin, you know, will benefit from it as well. It certainly won't hurt, especially taking on a guy who is also somewhat undersized for lightweight. So it's not like he's just, you know, taking on a gigantic dude now. Uh, I I like Moicano to to be wily enough and just tough enough to to last the three rounds here. It'll be a learning experience for for Fiziev as he 
gets in 15 minutes of, of action for the third straight time, but this time against a much better fighter and one who poses a much more direct threat than DeCasey or White did because Carnero has avenues to victory here. If, if the fight hits the ground, we don't really know what we're going to get from Fiziev. We know what we'll get from uh, Moicano, a guy who's excellent at taking the back and then taking the neck. I just don't think he's going to be able to get it there or at least not get it there on his on his terms. If this fight goes to the ground, it's going to be because Hinato is badly rocked. And my prediction that it goes to the judges will be wrong in that case. But uh, for now, I'm going to say, yeah, uh, Fiziev wins a clear-cut decision in this one. That brings us to the co-main event of UFC 256, where we will stay in the lightweight division with perennial contender Tony Ferguson taking on all of a sudden, new contender, Charles de Bronx Oliveira. Ferguson, the 36-year-old, is 25-4 and four in his mixed martial arts career. He is 15-2 and two in the UFC, having lost only to Michael Johnson, followed immediately by a stupendous 12-fight win streak that came to an end this past May at the hands of Justin Gaethje in the fifth round of a protracted beating. Oliveira, despite being just 31 years old, has actually been in the UFC longer than Ferguson has. He is 29-8 and eight with one no contest in his mixed martial arts career. He is 17-8 and eight with one no contest in the UFC. And after a lengthy run as an intriguing fighter who was plagued by weight misses and... Oddly flat performances. He seems to have put it all together in the last couple of years. He is currently on a seven-fight win streak, having defeated Clay Guida, Christos Giagos, Jim Miller, David Tamer, Nick Lentz, Jared Gordon, and then this March, in the headliner of UFC Fight Night 170, he choked out Kevin Lee with a guillotine in the third round. Ferguson is a moderate favorite right now, sitting around minus 165, minus 170. Oliveira, if you like him as an underdog, you can get as high as plus 145 for him right now. Keith, who do you like in this one? Well, I love the fight. I mean, this, you know, you go to Twitter, this seems like the main event. This is the fight that seems most fans are most excited about. Let's start Tony Ferguson. I mean, this guy is so fun to watch. His output is unmatched in MMA. He's so unpredictable, so creative. I I think it was Dan Hardy who described it best when he says he doesn't know what Tony's going to do because Tony doesn't know what he's going to do. Uh, he just moves. Tony's great in two ranges. He's great all the way out or all the way in. So let's talk about all the way out first. He just kind of flows he can fight from both stances. He'll throw punches from weird angles. His jab is is great. I mean, he jabbed up Donald Cerrone to oblivion. His straight right is deadly. He has those teep kicks. He's got a lot of leg kicks. And if he's not doing well there or he wants to change up, he can come in all the way in, inside range, and he just unloads with punches. But a lot of times when he's unloading is with things you're not expecting, like elbows. He throws elbows like some people throw punches. He'll even throw in like a spinning elbow. So he's dangerous in those two ranges. His output, as I already said, I got talking about it again, it's just incredible. 
Now, that's all his offense. Now, as good as he is offensively, he has major, major flaws defensively. Uh, drops his hands often, holds his, not only did he drop his hands, but he holds his chin up high. Uh, he threw that lead uppercut that I talked about, Juju Dos Santos, and he actually dropped Justin Gaethje with it. Uh, but as I mentioned, ask Chuck Liddell if that will, won't get you ruined. He's also open to leg kicks. Uh, Edson Barboza was piecing him up with the leg kicks. Justin Gaethje uh, was throwing the leg kicks when he did. He had great success. He leans back when he strikes a lot, so he kind of he loses a lot of power when he strikes. And he's been hurt so many times in so many fights, but he recovers incredibly well. Uh, he kind of gets dropped and then kind of just spins out of it. I don't remember who said this, but someone said like when he gets dropped, he like turns into Sonic the Hedgehog. He just like spins and just go, <laughs> kind of like goes with it. Um, and he can take a beating. I mean, even though Justin Gaethje battered him for their fight, he kept going and he actually like wasn't even dropped when he when the fight was finished. And when you can't put him out, he has this weird ability to sense that and then just turn up the pressure and kind of catch you to doubt and either panic and he finishes you in a bad position or just kind of fold. Um, he was down two rounds to nothing against Kevin Lee and heading into the throne. He just had a point on the ground. I was like, this is my round. This is when I beat you. And then like, he did. Uh, as far as a wrestling game, he definitely doesn't use his wrestling enough. Uh, but what he does, you know, cause he has, you know, he's an NCAA all American and all this. You, you know, he talks about his accomplishment all the time. He didn't really use his wrestling, but, uh, he's a funk style wrestler, so he doesn't have great entries, but his entries are simply to cause a scramble because that's where he's the best, and that's what you get with funk wrestlers just in general. Uh, you know, you, you get a scramble going, lock in a Darce, lock in an Anaconda, lock in a guillotine, whatever it is, and he's got weak takedown defense. Kevin Lee took him down easily. Kevin Lee even mounted him, but he never panics. He works back to a better position. And he can get submissions off back like he did against Kevin Lee. Or he can just slice you up with elbows. Like he's, you take him down, you're probably going to get elbowed in the top of the head. Um, so I talked a lot about Tony Ferguson. I mean, we we did the, the breakdown of Justin Gaethje's the fight. So we expect a lot of that. Charles Oliveira, best 31. So though he seems like a veteran because he's been in the UFC so long, he might just be entering his prime right now. Um and I think he is understanding that because he seems like he's growing in his confidence. Like he's coming in with like different swag in every fight. And he's also growing in his power on the feet. I mean, he flattened recently Nick Lenz. He flattened uh, Jared Gordon recently. I mean, those guys are obviously a step down from Tony Ferguson, but it's something you you want to see. And he's this guy that used to be considered one-dimensional that's probably pretty well-rounded now. He's, he has a, a – a, a Muay Thai style, kind of like what I was talking about, Moicano, where he kind of stands in front of him when he's not moving. But when he's moving, he uses his athleticism to make it unorthodox. Kind of has a reckless style, and he kind of also flows. He's kind of like a watered-down version of Tony Ferguson. And I mean that in a style sense, not in a fighter, because he he does a lot of what Ferguson does, where uh, he's kind of just goes with his movement. But he does. But he's not as hectic and doesn't do it as often as Tony. That's what I mean by like a watered down version. But he's a great athlete. Uh, solid jab, good timing on his counters. He gets the nice check left hook. Uh, will step in elbows when he gets in close range, like like Tony does. Defensively, a little bit of a flaw. Kind of still stands up tall. 
Uh, but he also has good leg kicks. I, I, I don't know why I kind of forgot that. But he doesn't check kicks, though. Uh, he will, instead of catch, uh, checking a kick, he'll try to catch a, uh, a kick and kind of get a takedown off of that and just kind of like catch in bull rush. Yeah, if he gets in the clinch, he's going to clinch. His takedown defense is a little worrisome, but I think that's because what we talked about Damian Jackson a couple weeks ago, like he can get taken down because he's so confident on the ground. like He, he doesn't really fight it off. He's the best submission threat in UFC history. I mean, he's got the most submissions in UFC history. Uh, on top, he's got very solid ground and pound, but he can catch submission. If he's off his back, he'll see the sweep you, submission off your back, and he's just so great in scrambles. The one thing that worries me, though, if he's on his back, sometimes he can get a, he can kind of depress there because he's so comfortable, and he can kind of get beat up. Kevin Lee was beating him up in, in their fight while he was laying on his back. And cardio is also an issue. As we've seen him slow it down, and you definitely don't want to have a cardio issue going against Tony Ferguson. So I said all that to get to the position. Tony Ferguson's 36. He's taken a lot of damage. And the floor could suddenly just fall out on a guy like that, like like we've seen in Tyron Woodley. I was watching – I was actually in the interview today for the uh, the media day, and it's hard to listen to. He, he's – Something's going on with his brain. It is declining. It is. It, it was. You couldn't even understand what the heck he was talking about. Like people were asking him questions, and he would he ramble as long as I'm rambling right now, but have like not even be on topic. Don't don't even know what the topic is. Like what the hell is he talking about? And that is really worrisome to me. So it's simply just a gut call, but I just can't take Tony Ferguson. What do I've seen? Like I see. I'm really worried about his mental health. I see some really fun, insane scrambles from this this fight. However, Tony Ferguson historically puts himself in bad position, and you can't do that against Charles Oliveira. If you do, he will submit you. So I don't think Tony Ferguson will submit because of how insane he is. I think Charles Oliveira just catches him, and eventually Tony Ferguson just falls asleep. So give me Charles Oliveira. I'm going to say second round. Uh, submission. This is my fourth upset pick of the night. Wow. Then this will also be our moment of greatest dissension because this is my lock of the night. Uh, let me talk about Charles de Bronx Oliveira first for a minute. Uh, I am incredibly happy that he is on the run he is right now and is really fulfilling the potential that we've seen in him as a mixed martial artist for a decade now. I mean, I remember when he was just a laughing stock, and I'm not saying this in any clinical sense, but just the the, the colloquial sense. He was a head case. I mean, we, we're talking about a guy who has a no contest through a foul, a TKO loss through a phantom injury, who has blown weight badly, but then would just come back the next, like literally the next fight, and weigh in like three pounds too light, like they don't have scales in Brazil or something. Uh, it's and I just assumed, like as late as. Well, as late as his last loss, as late as when Paul Felder like smashed him in into the the canvas, I was like, this guy's never going to get over the hump. He'll always be fun. He'll eventually be the UFC's all time leader in submissions, but he'll never be a top ten contender. Like, let alone a guy who's knocking on the door of title contention. Because he, whether at featherweight or at lightweight, he, he was in a division where you can't win two, lose one, win three, lose one, and ever get to a title shot. They're too competitive. He is now doing it. Uh, so I am just incredibly happy for him. And it means that one of the most exciting styles, one of the most exciting fighters in the division 
we've gotten to see more and more of them. So it's happy for him. Good for the sport. I mean, this is no longer the 20 year old who came into the UFC, just like this gawky skinny, just barely out of his teens guy who literally didn't even really have a team at that time. You know, as you pointed out, he's a, he's a much more well-rounded mixed martial artist. His striking was a liability for the first half of his uh, UFC career. What does he have? Yeah, this, he's, he's had 26 fights. His striking was flat out a liability against everyone he fought for the first half of that. And now it's a strength against a lot of them, even good fighters. Having said that, there are several fights in this card where you've said and I've said that we don't feel the lines should be where they are. They should be closer than they are. This is one where I feel the line should be wider. I, I And I may be proven wrong on Saturday night, but I I can't read too much into Ferguson's loss to Justin Gaethje. There's a very short list of people who can do that to Tony Ferguson. It's not a route to victory that Charles Oliveira can can follow. I mean, just destroying Tony Ferguson just through a war of attrition and taking his best offense for four and a half rounds while managing to lay more on him. That's never going to be Charles de Bronx Oliveira's route to victory against anyone. I, I think this is, I think this is going to be ugly and I think it's going to be ugly in Ferguson's favor. Uh, even though, Ferguson's 36. Uh, he still feels deceptively fast on the feet just because his movement is so weird. And Oliveira's a good athlete, but, you know, being a blinding, fast twitch athlete on the feet has never really been, you know, what he brings, even with his new kind of Muay Thai game. I think Ferguson is going to hit first and hit harder on the feet. Uh, I think if it does go to the ground, it's going to go to the ground on Ferguson's terms. I don't know if he'll go for takedowns. Uh, flat out it's kind of funny that he made that offhanded threat uh to to ankle pick somebody at uh you know at a press conference because we're talking about a guy who who criminally underuses his wrestling and in particular i don't think i've ever seen him try to ankle pick anybody uh and i've seen how tony ferguson responds to getting hit and taking damage and the momentum going against him Except when it's been Justin Gaethje, he's responded by just turning into a wood chipper. I don't think Oliveira is going to be able to take that. Because I've also seen what Oliveira looks like when, when he gets in trouble. And it's, it's, not the, it's not the same. Even now that he's kind of moved out of his, his one-dimensional glass cannon head case phase and into a, a serious contendership... Yeah, I think we're going to have a wild round, maybe wild round and a half. But give me Ferguson to hurt Oliveira on the feet, follow him down to the ground, and probably pound him out. Give me uh, Tony Ferguson by second round TKO. And this is my lock of the night. So around this time on Sunday, one of us will be smoking a cigar and kind of grinning at the other <laughs> through our screens here. Because one well, of us is going to be very wrong. <laughs> yeah, well... I mean, I didn't put it in my lock, so <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, I definitely understand why Ferguson's the favorite, and uh, like I'm not confident in Charles Oliveira. I mean, I'm I'm not confident in picking against Tony Ferguson, but I think I picked against Tony Ferguson in the last three four. I picked Thomas Roney over him, which was that was a bad call, but I did pick I did pick Gaethje over him, so that was a good call. 
And with that, we come to the main event of UFC 256, Figueredo versus Moreno, an intriguing and possibly historic main event as flyweight champ Davison Figueredo will defend his belt against Brandon Moreno. Both men, of course, just fought three weeks ago at UFC 255. If Figueredo wins, he will smash the UFC record for the shortest time between successful title defenses. The current record is eight weeks, 56 days, that is currently held by two champions. Keith, do you know who they are? Oh, no way. Uh, eight weeks? Yep, hmm. exactly, exactly eight weeks. And there's two champs that have done it. So there's a tie, and he will cut that record from eight weeks to three if yeah, he does it is, on Saturday. Which is absolute insanity. And it's not one of these, like, tournament champions. It's like actually No, these, just... these are for real belt holders. Okay. Um, so the thing that jumps out to me, you said eight weeks, which is two months. Mm-hmm. And I know Andre Alaski defended his title at UFC 53 and 55. However, I think the they were the the paper is a little more spaced out. They weren't month a month back then. So I'm not gonna go with him. But that's the one that jumped out to me first. Man. Like, I should think someone who just was like who's an active guy who was like always active. Uh man, I'm struggling. John Jones? John Jones is not either of them. Okay. I want I figured throw my odds out there, go with the guy who defended the title many times. Uh, oh, is John Jones and Demetrius Johnson? Uh, uh, no, I have no idea. Okay, one of them. Matt Hughes defended his belt against BJ Penn at UFC 63, and then George St. Pierre 56 days later at UFC 65. The other oh, But he lost is... that one. He lost the one to BJ the Right? To George St. Pierre, he lost it. Was 65 the one where he... He got high kicked. That's right. Then the sole sole, uh, record holder is Ronda Rousey because it was 56 Ah. days between the Tate and McMahon fights. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. She She was busy. Yeah. Yeah, she was a busy one. Yep. So, yeah, it was uh, Ronda Rousey. Uh, beat Misha Tate at UFC 168, Sarah McMahon at UFC 170, 56 days in between them. Are we, are we allowed to talk about Ronda Rousey at MMA? <laughs> Is that allowed? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny, you know, like just the, the backlash I think has undermined like how great she was for a minute. Oh, absolutely. You know? I, I still think she'd be competitive today. Not, 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 not a champion, but be competitive. Yeah, I yeah, so so she has some obvious uh, disadvantages on the feet. How many people have been able to take advantage of it, you know? And, and especially in a very weak division. That's yes. still weak. That's still very weak. All right. I'll go ahead and dig into this one first, actually. Uh, Figueredo, and actually, let me get the particulars out of the way first. Figueredo, the 32-year-old Brazilian who will actually turn 33 in about a week and a half is 20 and one as a professional mixed martial artist. He is nine and one in the UFC. His only loss came to Juicy A Formiga last March. 
uh, via unanimous decision. Since then, he's bounced back with five straight wins, including Alessandra Pantoja, Tim Elliott, uh, Joseph Benavidez in the non-title title fight because he missed weight, Benavidez again in the yes title title fight, and then most recently, three weeks ago, Alex Perez at UFC 255. Moreno, the 27-year-old Mexican, is 18-5-1 as a professional. He is 7-2-1 in the UFC. Uh, had a couple early losses to uh, Pantoja and to Sergio Pettis. Had a draw with Askar Askarov. But since that draw, he's come back with three straight wins over Kai Kara France, Juicy A. Formiga, and uh, Brandon Royval at the same UFC 255 card. Figueredo is a healthy favorite right now, sitting around minus 300. Moreno, you can get around plus 250, plus 255. And as as I said, I'll go first on this one. This is one where I, I think the the odds are right on. I, I look at Figueredo, and for one, it, even speaking as one of the few people to call his loss to Formiga correctly, Formiga beating him did not lay a blueprint for vulnerabilities that anyone else can exploit. Like, if if your game plan for beating Figueredo starts with be one of the three greatest back control specialists in MMA history, not many people can follow that. Like, it's not as though Formiga even had him in a lot of trouble on the ground. He just couldn't get him off. It was like three rounds of having a harmless backpack on. That's not Brandon Moreno's game. That's not almost anybody's game. Uh, my my one concern would be that Figueredo, a guy who has missed weight in recent history, and, you know, admittedly, he hates the weight cut. He doesn't know if he's going to be at flyweight forever. He, he cuts so much water weight that he walks into the cage looking like most fighters do walking onto the scale. Uh, you know, the concern might be the gas tank on the short turnaround, even though Moreno has the exact same turnaround. The problem is, as I've kind of dug into Figueredo's UFC fights this week, he's done basically the, he's gone in the reverse of what Jose Aldo has done. Figueredo and Aldo both fight like a guy who cuts a lot of weight and knows he needs to manage his gas tank. The way Aldo did it early in his career was just to say, you know what? I'm explosive. I'm strong. I hit like a truck. I'm just going to get this finished quick before it becomes an issue. And then later in his career, uh, you know, and kind of like his the later part of his UFC championship run, it, he became more deliberate. I'm going to wait, 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 and then explode. And that's how I'm going to win rounds, and that's how I'm going to finish fights. Figueredo has been the opposite. He started out being a very deliberate fighter who would, you know, wait, he'd be patient, uh, he'd be measured, and then he would explode with his offense at what he felt was the opportune times. And it's just more recently that he's just been like, chuck it, I have the kind of power uh, and speed that nobody at flyweight has. I'm just going to get this over with before uh, either of us has a chance to get tired. And it has worked so far. So Moreno, Moreno's uh, path to victory and the places where Moreno likes to hang out are all danger zone against Davis and Figueredo. You look at Moreno's record, he's got a lot of submissions on it, but those are mostly back in Mexico. At the UFC level, he is uh, a wild man on the feet, although admittedly less wild uh, recently. He's really buckled down some. But, you know, like a, a high-volume, high uh, aggressive kickboxer type, and then really likes his scrambles on the ground as uh, a way to get position, a way to look for submissions, uh, and a, a way to apply ground and pound. 
I don't think any of that's going to work against Figueredo. This is a miserable matchup for Moreno. And because Figueredo has, in the last year or two, just figured out that he doesn't have to measure his, his gas tank, if he's confident he can just knock somebody out in the first or second round, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, give me Davis and Figueredo in this one by first round knockout. Yeah, man, I think you had a really good uh, breakdown, specifically when you talked about the gas tank, how he handles it. Uh, yeah, it, it, you definitely play with fire when you have that style where you just go like, I'm going to knock you out. Um, I think he should control it a little bit more. And if cardio is an issue, I definitely could be on the figure. You did mention they both have the same turnaround, but yeah, he's historically had more issues with weight. I mean, he missed weight against Joseph Benavides, Benavides the first fight, uh, you know, I got to make weight twice in three weeks. That definitely is extremely concerning to me. Uh, but though he did say today in the interviews, that he's at 132, and that's like that's good to be right now. Uh, Figure it out. These these notes are gonna be very similar to what I said three weeks ago. Uh, obviously, the thing that jumps out when everyone said you mentioned it is his power. He's got really good power. But I I said it three weeks ago. I'm saying it again. I don't think he has Francis Nagano power, like as the as the, as the broadcast pretends to. I think a lot of that power was knocking out Joseph Benavides, who I think is shot. But. He is great counter striker. Even if he doesn't knock you out, he's gonna hit you enough, hurt you, stun you, stop, or at least stop what your plan is. He's just got great timing on his attacks. Uh, he can strike while backing up, which is so impressive to me. Very few people can do that. And he's got great head moves. He slide. What's good about him is he didn't just use his head move to avoid the strike. He also used it to leave him in a position to land those counter strikes, which is kind of always. You know, the, the thing that stands out about kind of fighters. I also love the way he draw, uses feints to draw out attacks. Um, he uses his feints like almost offensive, you know, offensively to use to, to set up his own counters. He can fight from both stances, though I do think he's better in the orthodox straight. His, I mean, his, his right hand is his money shot. He throws punches from weird looping angles, uh, and they can be really wild, though. But they, they come at you from hard angles to see because they, they're a little wild, and it works for them. Um, I think a guy like Israel Asani is so technically sound with his punches down the strikes, but then he also sometimes will get a little wild and then hurts guys when he gets wild. He he can he can be too aggressive. I mean, all right, I don't know what I So he's so aggressive that I think he, he one day he's going to get himself in trouble with it. Like one fight, he just like ran at Pantoja to throw one single like overhand right, which is to me is crazy. He does keep his hands low, his chin a little high, so he can be hit. I mean, Alex Perez was having some success in the first. I mean, it's only two minutes, so I know you can't take too much of it, but he was landing on the feet a little bit. Uh, but what I love about Figure Figueroa is that he has some cre- creativity in in his striking. Like he. He started like throwing elbows in close range, which is probably the second thing that's that's imp- most impressive to me. He doesn't check leg kicks, which is is a little worrisome. But if you crash the pocket in him, like you might get hit with an elbow, or he can just clinch you. And where he is so physically imposing, like there's not a flyweight that just like that's why he's so good in the clinch. He can just back you up, and he's a good wrestler. He's got good reactionary doubles. He's hard to take down. Pantoja took him down, but he. And I don't know why it seems like I keep mentioning this guy in this broadcast, like Chuck Liddell used to do. He just gets up. Like if you take 
figure it out. He's just like, oh, I'm struggling with you. I'm just getting right back up. Um, and he's just an absolute submission threat. He had that beautiful guillotine against Tim Elliott. He showed that it wasn't a fluke. He just did the same thing in Alex Perez. And Alex Perez, he had one-handed at one point and just muscled in the second arm. So uh, he's just a threat on the feet and on the ground. Move to Brandon Moreno. He's well-rounded. He's a good boxer. He's got fast hands. Uh, he, he, he does the shoulder rolls, which you know I love. He has a bob and weave style, so he's kind of head. He's kind of bouncing a lot off the center line, kind of busy. Sits on his punches. He has that sneaky high kick. Like, he'll kind of bo- bounce one side and kind of throw the high kick off on the other side, similar to what Robert Whitaker does. Uh, he worked up Kai Kara France with his jab. He mixes his punches and kicks well. That's why we, you know, I was able to take down Brandon Roy Vell with it. Uh, he is open to leg kicks, but he's great in scrambles. Like, he's – you mentioned he's not a – I, I I think he downplayed his back take ability. No, no, he's not going to be able to just jump on the back of David Figueroa for 25 minutes. But I do think he he's strong on the on the ground taking back. Takes. I mean, he did it to Brandon Roy Val. He rode his back for you know it was only one round. Um, I I was very that's probably the thing that stood up most to me is how he just was able to cling to Roy Val. Uh, good takedowns, but more um. More of a, like we mentioned with Ferguson wants wants to create a scramble hard hard to submit hard to hold down and if you do get him down he'll just like he grabby rolls like he has that funk style. I love this fight. I, I just love this division. Three weeks ago I made the mistake of picking against Figueredo. I'm not making that mistake again. He simply just has more avenues to victory. He has more power on the feet. He's the better wrestler. He's the bigger submission threat. Uh, he's physically stronger. Moreno's going to have to be perfect. I mean, he's going to have the perfect fight, and that's going to be so hard for him. I think his best chance is time to withstand the early flurry, as you as you mentioned. I think you I think your breakdown was fantastic, uh, even though I did give you some 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 grief on the back take thing. But I think your, your cardio. I love how beautifully you laid out the the way he was, conserves it. If you can handle that earth, and that's a major if, he could fade late. Fade late. So I think Moreno's best success is to weather an early storm and then kind of try to creep back in and win late rounds. And I actually think he will do that. I just don't think he'll do it enough. I think Figueroa might get too far ahead. So I'm going to take Figueroa. I think Moreno's actually going to make it to the decision. So I'm going to say Figueroa wins, but it's going to be uh, a pretty decisive win. So Figueroa by unanimous decision and, and and still, I should say. And there you have it. The Sherdog Radio preview and prediction show for UFC 256. For a quick rundown of those picks, we have Chase Hooper versus Peter Barrett. Ben has Hooper by decision. Keith has Hooper by first round submission. Sergey Spivak versus Jared Vandera. Keith and Ben both have Spivak by third round knockout. Tisha Torres versus Sam Hughes. Both Ben and Keith have Torres by decision. Gavin Tucker versus Billy Quarantillo. Keith has Tucker by third round TKO. Ben Tucker by decision. Mackenzie Dern versus Verna Jandaroba. Ben has Dern by decision. Keith has Jandaroba by decision. Cub Swanson versus Daniel Pineda. Keith has Pineda by decision. Ben has Pineda by second round submission. Moving over to the main card. Junior Dos Santos versus Surreal Gone. Keith has gone by round three knockout. Ben has gone by first round knockout. 
Jacare Souza versus Kevin Holland. Ben has Holland by decision. Keith has Jacare by second round submission. Hinata Moicano versus Rafael Fiziev. Keith has Fiziev by first round knockout as his lock of the night. Ben has Fiziev by decision. In the co-main event, Tony Ferguson versus Charles DeBronx Oliveira. Keith has Oliveira by third round submission. Ben has Ferguson by second round knockout, and that is Ben's lock of the night. And in the main event, both of us have Davis and Figueredo to retain his belt against Brandon Moreno. Ben has Figueredo by first round knockout. Keith has Figueredo by decision. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the fights and make sure to check out the After the Bell recap show right here on Sherdog Radio.